0: Hello, this is John, this is Wattar. This is Wattar Conversations with Graham Pardun, a poet that, uh, well, Paul Kings North Martin Shaw, and others, including uh, Rod Dreher, call, one of the most important poets of our current moment. This is Graham Pardon, author of Sun Lilies, and this is one of our Conversations on Wattar. But first, Greg Gilbertson and the gang up in Wisconsin singing and bringing you in with some Gagi Marjos. Marjos. Grandma, w- we met in Minnesota, then we talked, and then I found out you had this great book, and that you're kind of famous in your basement.. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about uh the sun lilies and um maybe two seconds about yourself.
1: That'd be great. Yeah, it's it's only gonna take two seconds to explain myself. <laughs> Famous in my basement. I think you just explained it right there. <laughs> <laughs> I I you know my uh substack profile is just some kumbaya American nothing poet. I think that sums it up. Uh, I've just been writing alone for 20 years and it's all been garbage. And about a year ago, finally got to the point where it stopped being garbage.
0: Yeah, it's not garbage.
1: (laughs) Took took a lot of garbage to get there, though. And you mentioned, yeah, Rod read it and went nuts about it, which I... I appreciate it. I, I think you read it, the whole thing, like three in the morning. <laughs> and you know how he, Rod gets excited about something. So it struck him at the right time and he got excited about it.
0: Well, and because uh, it's a kind of, it's a crazy, honest, poetic, not really a memoir, but it's like, you like take us along for a walk about what it means to be in touch with something like The spirit world it's pretty cool and clearly using a you're you're flexing on orthodoxy and as a convert there's something really resonant about it even though how long ago did you convert to orthodoxy
1: well on paper 12 years ago i would i would say i'm still converting to orthodoxy Mm. um i converted to orthodoxy 12 years ago and it it's taken me at least 10 years to, to really convert. So I think the book came out of a long period of struggle for me. And one of the things I wanted to do with it is express in language that makes sense to my own heart. Yeah, that's right. The few- that,
0: that's how it feels.
1: Yeah. And I, I'm, I didn't ex- expect anyone to read it. I, my goal was to say to myself, what I needed to hear to keep me in orthodoxy. Right. Um. I went, I went through this pretty typical, we were talking about ortho bros. I, you know, I was probably still am one of the, one of those, you know, it's all in, in my head and that kind of cerebral relationship with orthodoxy Um. plus my poetic romanticizing Tendencies, I think I was just in and out, in and out, up and down all the time. And I would get these little glimpses of insight and I would come back. And I I wanted to kind of tie myself down with Mm a small bit of writing Mm -hmm. that came from my own heart, from my own experience. So that's yeah, that's where it came, where it came out of. And I I think it that's why it has resonated with with a lot of people kind of in a similar boat.
0: Well, one of the people on our board read it said how have you not already called him up it's the book does something to the personal of our being the personal aspects of our being it's like super honest it didn't kings north also like recommend your substack too like in other words Whatever it is to be a writer, it seems like that's what you are. So tell me what it is to be a writer and an ortho bro. And for people who aren't <laughs> orthodox, people who aren't orthodox, maybe we need to define ortho bro because it has legs in this internet corner of the world. How would you define it?
1: Well, when, when we were talking earlier, um, you you were talking about Um, you know, we met in the church in Minneapolis and, and you talked in, in your last conversation, uh, with your brother about this, this thing that happens, which is, you know, a bunch of dudes around you and they're excited about your show and what you're doing online. And, um, but what I got from that is you're talking about a lot of times it's, it's very, you know, up in the head Mm -hmm. and there's this kind of, um, yeah, I mean it's 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 cool to be orthodox, you know? You grow a beard. Your, your beard's awesome. My beard's awesome. It's it's not, you know, like you your start getting it a... <laughs> better <than> my beard. <laughs> By the By way, way both better. of our
0: beards are way better than my brother's beard. Like that's not even that's a true. beard. What is that? Yeah, that's Lord.
1: That's true. That's true. It's tough beard. <laughs> um, but there's things you get to do when you when you convert to orthodoxy and you get and you're excited about them and you're you're kind of in this um in this new cultural world that is easy to be enthusiastic about. And it's, it's a, a place where you can bro out with other bros about it. Um, what's, but- what's,
0: what's the, I mean, I think I was in the same space. What's the excitement about, to me, it's about something like becoming like, it's like joining up for something. You know, it's, it's like when you were 12 and you made the, you know, basketball team. There's like, now you have to like weigh in and put your oar in. That's what happened to me. It's like, it's not a bad thing. It's like, oh, that guy knows what we're about to go through. And I don't know, that's how I see the ortho bro community as being a bunch of men who want to do something together. Does Does that resonate with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you you know, my my religious background is very cerebral. I I grew up Calvinist. You know, you've got all these ideas and um, you the the context of those ideas is largely you're in a you're in a space that looks more or less like an office building. And there's a guy in a suit, you know, talking about these ideas for a very, very long time. and, And they're all right. Um and then, in Orthodox, you enter this world where you're making prostrations mm. you're you're setting stuff on fire, you're growing a beard you're you're talking about uh, saints floating off the ground when they pray mm. uh you're talking about union with God theosis you're 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 entering into this whole completely different world it's it's easy. I mean, there's so much to be excited about if there's no if there's no suffering in the heart though. It can mm. be a it can be a bunch of stuff to get excited about.
0: What do you mean by suffering in the heart?
1: That's interesting. You have to feel that this is life or death. Mm. I think. I mean, you you can do what you want. I I guess I'm talking about my getting through all these layers of abstraction, getting to the point of you're at the bottom of yourself, and you you start to glimpse that how really dark it is. Like you start to realize that you actually are dead. Yeah, oof. You know, I didn't I didn't want to go there for a really long time. Um, my f- my first exposure to orthodoxy was at the end of high school, beginning of college. I mean, it's 20 years ago. I was reading Dostoevsky you know, Elder Zazima, you know, geeking out about all that stuff. There's this whole Russian world, this, this whole other way of thinking and feeling. And uh, I was in and out of churches for Orthodox churches for 10 years, you know, at, in that post-college period. And, you know, that the beauty of the liturgy. Awesome. Sign me up for that. The correct theology yeah i love being right that's great sign me up for that these cool people um i love them but getting down to the heart and confronting the the death inside like whenever it got to that i was out of there Uh. so so i was in and out for 10 years and when i finally walked into my current church now is actually is on the sunday of the prodigal son and I walked in. I heard someone chanting the hours, and that in that moment, I knew I was home, and that I never wanted to leave ever again. Right. And I, t- I told my priest after the liturgy, "Yeah, I want to be a catechumen." And he thought I was a, he thought I was crazy. <laughs> like he's like, "Ah, we'll see." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think he let me become a catechumen for months, uh, but he, he didn't really know the whole backstory of. I mean, I've been reading books and attending churches for a long time, but right. um, when i something clicked before I showed up that time on the Sunday, of the prodigal son, I had uh, um, gone to a New Year's Eve party at my sister's apartment. Um, and she said, Hey, there's this guy, Justin, you should talk to him. He's, he's becoming orthodox you know i i know you used to be interested in orthodoxy i was like yeah that's that's cool and so i was at talking to this dude he had a massive beard like truly epic a beard with its own intelligence it was cool yeah i was i was just in awe of the beard but yeah i was yeah trying to strike up conversation yeah orthodoxy and then he was asking me well I, you know what's what's your deal and and i was just going through this long thing of, of why i didn't become orthodox because this and that idea and i had this almost out of body experience where i kind of saw myself talking and it was all it's all crap you know i <laughs> i just stopped and interesting and i said justin should i become orthodox and he said yeah you could and something clicked in my heart like oh i could i don't have to I could, there's like this, this freedom that opened up where Mm -hmm. I kind of went through Mm -hmm. all these, all these ideas and, uh, yeah, I walked into the church and, and I I had that freedom and yeah, I wanted to finally start to convert. That was 12 years ago.
0: Were you, were you married then? Were you in a relationship? Were you doing this on your own?
1: I was doing that on my own. i I met my now wife, you know, shortly thereafter. Okay. So we we were married in the Orthodox Church. She think you were weird. Yeah. <laughs> she and she was right. She still thinks I'm weird. <laughs> but she, uh, you know, she was a Lutheran, and she was pretty skeptical of all this stuff. And I was, you know, super enthusiastic was going through one of my enthusiastic phases and she, she had this slow, patient approach. And she told me, you know, I'm not gonna convert unless God literally just tells me to convert. And I didn't even know you could do that. You know, I'm like reading books, convincing myself and going, you know, and it took months, but there came a point where God literally told her, okay, convert and she said okay and she did and she never went back
0: let's do that for a second okay for skeptical friends like my dear friend Seth who's coming on this week by the way if people like Seth he's my atheist friend who comes on he wants to know how your wife was spoken to so you you hear the you hear the mechanistic like framing of the question right how was she spoken to like did the voice have candor like did it have a did it have an irony to it was it not her voice let's just do that for a second you're a writer (laughs) you can paint pictures for us in words what do you think i it's not really relevant what what actually happened to your wife but what is the voice what is that thing
1: yeah, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, it's not something you're going to replicate in some other, you know, setup like the voice has this kind of tenor and and then you can you can uh you can pick it up on the mic later and yeah, that's the same voice. Um well, I don't, you know, how would you achieve My wife. Yeah, I don't know. How about let me tell you this instead? Because I you know, I don't want to speak for my wife. That's as much sure. as she told me and, and it's like these things you can't really put into words i was so let me just switch gears to a parallel experience sure that was my own experience so i can talk about it and it's It's the same it's It's the same i just want to investigate this voice thing yeah yeah um so for 10 years i went through these cycles of total enthusiasm and then would drop and be cynicism and, and despair and um, I was going through one of the low periods and in particular during this period, I was just judging everybody at my parish. You know, that guy's not serious. That guy's not serious. Look at that guy. That guy's definitely not serious. That guy's beard is cool, but you know, it's a mask. He's not serious. He's just judging everybody. Um, And it was a dark time, you know, and one Sunday morning, for about half a second, out of the blue, it was like everybody's heads were on fire. And huh. if you were to take, if you were to take a photograph of it, you wouldn't see that. But it, it wasn't my imagination. I don't know what my imagination feels like. And it was just a brief. It wasn't sentimental. It wasn't like you know, everyone's full of the divine light, and I should really mm-hmm. accept that. It wasn't. It was just all of a sudden, bam. Everybody's heads are on fire. It was like the burning bush. they were burning, but not getting burned up and then that was it and then i and then you know the scales fell off my eyes, like these people are beautiful hmm. and they're doing their best, and everybody's just struggling on the orthodox path and they're they're wonderful and eternal and and full of God, and I should stop judging them, wow, so. I don't know what I would say to Seth about that. Um I wasn't expecting that or asking for that. Uh I guess it's something I needed. Um
0: is it like an yeah, I imprint? I can't put it into words. It's like an imprint. It 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 was I think of I think of like when I get up from the couch like my arm has the imprint the couch it's not as if i was aware of the experience it's like left with me i've had so i can say a similar thing that happened to me but without going all the way into it my first time in orthodox church i was humiliated by a a yaya or a matushka and she was saying things to me that made me look suddenly at the iconostasis as a protection because I was there to meet a woman and she was cute. And I was yada, yada. And she yelled at me to stand up and face forward. (laughs) And in my humiliation, I suddenly was presented with the iconostasis in a way it, it looked like, um, like, do you know like when you go to a Chinese restaurant like in, in the Bronx? Or I don't know, pick your neighborhood in Minneapolis. And you're there's all the food back there, but you gotta like go through a window and talk to somebody. But you really want those delicious chicken wings to come out from the Chinese restaurant? This is how I used to eat in the Bronx. The people out there who know New York know what I'm talking about. That's what the iconostasis was. It was like suddenly this deep barrier to something delicious. And I don't know what that was. I didn't see fire. I saw like a, like a, like a wall. I saw like a, like almost like a, like a guarded wall, like, you know, Game of Thrones where they're guarding the wall against the, but I was the bad one and they wouldn't let me get in. Now, I don't know what, is that the voice of God? I, I hear that as the voice of God. See, that's what I don't think people understand in the secular world. They, they're so attuned to the particular scientific narrative about voice. They actually keep thinking it's a voice. You see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. You, God's not an ego, mm-hmm. not a big ego in the sky, you know, um, in orthodoxy, at least we're, we're taught that if you hear voices, you know, don't, don't listen to them. It's not a voice in your head. Well, that's interesting. In your head, that's you know? Graham.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. We're actually taught that's a problem right wow i didn't think about it like that
1: yeah and you've got good thoughts and bad thoughts and neutral thoughts and it's like all thoughts are are not it man it's like it's the heart that's that's where it's all really happening Mm -hmm. and so it's just this long process of you know our consciousness starts out up here Mm -hmm. and that's a sickness and we're we're trying to make our way you know down here, I'm I'm off camera now, my hands pointing to my heart. Right. Is the book, by the way,
0: guys, the sun lilies is his book. Um, You probably already know about it, but if you don't, it's, it's fascinating. Is the book, the writing of it, I'll use the word sacramental in the orthodox sense. It's an infinite amount of sacraments, right? You're always participating with reality and creation. Is the book and the writing of it a way to get from the head like you're pointing to into the heart? Is that what happened with you when you're writing?
1: Yeah, I love that question. Yeah, the process of writing it was a process of getting down to my heart. Um, let me, yeah, and and my my hope is that because uh, i went through that process and then crystallized the result of that 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 other people can yeah can get to, the, to their heart faster yeah do it yeah uh, tell us about uh, that that's um great. i mean i think of it as poetry something that's really stuck with me you know the the georgian poet james dickey not uh, georgia georgia the state not your georgia yeah i was licking oh i love his <laughs> name you mean Dickishvili? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's no, there's no James Dickey in, in your Georgia. Uh, I'm from Atlanta. I was born in Atlanta, my, my Georgia. James Dickey, he said, you, you know, in high school poetry is boring. He didn't get it. He could care less. Uh, but after high school, he had this, this realization that, um, once you put words in a certain order, then they just stay that way. Mm. And so we got super interested in, in putting words in a certain order. I mean, even civilizations rise and fall. Mount Everest is going to be a beach one day. You know, all these things undergo uh, this, this flux, you know, that breaks everything down. But a, once you get a poem right, you get those words in that order. It just stays that way. Um, I thought of that as I was writing the book that I... As, as I've struggled with orthodoxy, I have these little moments of insight and then, you know, those can slip away and I can forget and get back into my funks and stuff. I wanted to capture all the little insights, crystallize them and put, you know, nail them down, put them on, a, put them on paper so they stay there. I was kind of originally was just going to be an anchor for, for myself. You know, when I get to my next funk, I'm just going to go back to what I just wrote. And, and read it and then the memories will be there and it, it actually has really helped me um i was the book kind of reflects a lot of stuff i was trying to write for 10 maybe 15 years and a lot of it was in my my rebellious stages um but i got to a particularly low point in one of these down cycles and this was a day, I don't know, it's like, it probably was May. It probably wasn't May, you know, sunny, windy, mm-hmm. and uh I kept pacing around. I was just caught up in all these thoughts, and I kept going down to this pond and sitting by these rocks, and then going back up and walking around, and the last time I sat by these rocks, this wind just kind of blew right through me. This is going to sound super hokey. Seth, Seth is not going to like this. <laughs> <laughs> Sad, it was like this, man. I'm I'm not making this up. I was just like all the swirl of thoughts. I went down there by this pond, and uh, this is why I say I'm just a kumbaya nothing poet. You don't have to believe me, Sad. I was I I was down at the pond, and this literally this wind.
0: This is great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This wind, this wind blew right through me, and all these thoughts evaporated. And all these ideas that I was working on literally in that moment, crystallized, they connected together. And then I just, you know, banged out some of lease over the next few weeks, like it just came and then it was done. So what yeah, is it that? came out. Of-
0: that's a, by the way, that's a pattern. <laughs> it's a pattern in history. When you study writers, what is going on there? Not that we can even say, let's try though. I, I think that's called revelation. And I don't know why you had it, but I, something's happening. And then the question is, will you participate? <laughs> That's the question. Will yeah. you go and participate? Because I think all of us have that. The question is, will you go and sit down and write that down or embrace your loved one? Because I think we've had, I'm, I want you to go back to the story. But I think we've all had that moment where it's just like, Oh my gosh, it's coming together. I have to go ask Jimmy for forgiveness because I see it now. I don't think it's any different than the revelation you had. And, but then most of us go, like, yeah, maybe after dinner. And then it's four days later, and you know what? It's finished. I didn't participate with the revelation, which is a real bitch, right? Because why can't I just, why can't the revelation just be enough? there's something being asked of you and you went and did it anyway. Sorry. I just had that thought because it's fascinating.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you got, I mean, you got to just say yes to God as much as humanly possible. How do you get to the point where you're doing that? I, you know, I think suffering is one way. Hmm. I mean, I got to the point where I was just so tired of thinking the same things over and over and over again. You know, I was just desperate to get out of these cycles in my head you know I was thirsty and I knew I was thirsty right but I don't know I mean God also felt sorry for me I think you know (laughs) he knew I needed something
0: but that's how the words broke onto the page and then take us through just some writing chops why did you do it in this poetic fashion you go back and forth between scripture and then your your musings And you also choose some interesting vocabulary, Adonai, Yeshua. What are you doing there? Uh, You explain a little bit about Yeshua, but you really stick to it. I I found it different. I wouldn't call it that it confused me, but you made me, the reader, confront the word. And tell us a little bit why you use Yeshua and not Christ or Jesus you do Christ but when yeah. Jesus takes a back seat
1: well and i say yeshua i mean some people say yeshua some people say yeshua i think i think yeshua sounds better and and part yeah, of, part I, of it just is it, it's i think it's, so too <laughs> it's a it's a it's a beautiful sound right yeshua um part of it's that you know i'm i'm interested in poetry i'm interested in how words sound i'm i'm really committed to making sounds in in english um or in this case hebrew hebrew you know translated into to, to english i i love that in english we have this sh sound um the greek did not have this mm. so yeshua was, was the name his his mother gave him if, if we're able to say that word you know that's a a gesture of personal it's a personal gesture you know uh you know to call somebody by their name if you can you know some names are depending on your linguistic background some some names are harder to pronounce um but i you know thank god i speak english we all we speak english you know we have that sh sound that's lovely so we can we can say yeshua the greek didn't have that so so yesus was it was about as good as they could they could do for yeshua that s sound at the end that's the the uh masculine nominative ending so and it kind of evolved from there into you go from yeshua to yesus to yesu uh to to jesus yeah yeah yesus kind of sounds like yeshua jesus doesn't sound anything like yeshua um and i i don't think he has a problem with it but if it's possible then to call him by his name then we can do it but part of it i would say a large part of it is um people have all kinds of baggage attached to the name jesus they have all these conceptions wow um part of what i want to do is just startle people out of these mental habits like you might think you know who jesus is but if if you're forced to encounter yeshua you might you might be open to hearing something different that's right. that's my hope i want to do that with a lot of words um i'm going okay this is a string from sun lilies. we'll we'll get back there maybe But uh, i'm i'm working on wish. versions of the of the of the psalms on my substack now which you know i don't know hebrew but it's it's fun to learn hebrew and my i'm using uh benner's lexicon where he goes back to the ancient Hebrew uh, pictographic language, you know, it's more like hieroglyphics, and shows how all the words are related to their archaic roots. Hmm. And my my idea with these versions of the Psalms is to to convey the same, uh, like the faithfulness of the translation is just in conveying the same vivid mental imagery. Right. I'm being pretty loosey goosey with verb tense parts of speech, all of that, but the mental imagery, that's, that's what I want to go for. So one of my discoveries in doing that, I think this was in Psalm, Psalm 4 it was the first time I encountered the, this word Hanan, um, which is usually translated like grace or mercy, mm. which that's nice. You know, I have a sister named Grace. That's a beautiful name. Um, but literally nothing, visually enters my mind when i hear the word grace maybe my sister i, I, I imagine her shining right. face. that's that's great but you know not, not everybody has a kind of proves, you
0: know, <laughs> proves the rule you're trying
1: to yeah do. but grace mercy like i don't know you know what does that mean so the the word though comes from i learned from this lexicon the word comes from it means the way in which nomads would circle their tents around at night to create this protective space inside where you're at home, even though you're on the road. Um, Which that, like, if I were to take a wild guess, what does grace really mean? I would never get to a circle of tents, but like no, but that image is... What, yeah, what
0: you said, you're at home, even though you're on the road. This is go- This is it. This is grace
1: yeah i mean so like this is the hebrew experience you know like we're we're sojourning on planet earth and and uh but if if we're in the presence of god with each other in a circle we're you know that's as much home as we need right now so i and so when i when i translated i don't think it's quite a translation when i did a version of that psalm um instead of you've given me mercy I, i said You've placed me within the beautiful circle of your tents, your hidden place of compassion and serenity. Now, that's like a sentence instead of a word, but I, I, that conveys that mental imagery. And it's like, it's a, it, it gives you a, a fresh encounter with like what, what the, the heck the Psalm is about as a way of encountering God. So I think in, in Sun Sunlilies, I started this project of, I just want new words for everything. Mm-hmm. So that I can freshly encounter everything.
0: What do, historically or philosophically, what do you think's brought you to this need for the new? I, I happen to agree with you. It's not really new, right? It's kind of a weird return to the old. But let's just let's just call it new for the sake of this conversation. What's happened? What? Why must it be new? I mean, Billy Graham. Why can't we just do what Billy Graham did?
1: Like, what happened? Wait, what did Billy Graham do? Well, Billy
0: Graham used all those words. I'm thinking of the class- oh, yeah. classical Protestant. Thank you for clarifying my weird question. How did <laughs> Billy Graham get into this? <laughs> By the way, uh, if there's one consistent critique of anything I'm doing on the internet. It's like, John, your thoughts are malformed. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well I mean that's my wife she's like why did Billy Graham get in there okay Billy Graham <laughs> using, I mean if you ever wanted amazing grace or just there's a real long tradition of this word grace being really important in sort of the lexicon of Protestant Christianity but you're sort of saying eh, I don't know I might want to use circle around the wagons what's <laughs> happened what, why I, I have my I, I mean I'm, it's a leading question yeah. but
1: yeah no 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 I I mean well, circling the wagons, you know, give it a western flair there. I like that. Americanized. <laughs> By the way, it. I, like I totally <laughs> destroyed your poetry. <laughs> Please,
0: you should just hang up because this is terrible. <laughs> I'm ruining <you. laughs>
1: Yeah, all right. I'm gonna do a Wild West version of Psalm 4 for you next time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daniel Bloom. No, how did I- <laughs> <laughs> Oh Lord? Right, will yeah, you forgive
0: uh,
1: me? <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, part of it is because I'm a rebel. Um, You know, I went through all these phases I was talking about where I would get cynical and um, disgusted and judgmental. And I just kept reading books and reading books, reading books, trying to find something that would connect. I mean, we're Orthodox books. And um, I love you, everyone who wrote those books. You're amazing. Thank you. But I got really frustrated with, how the language is more or less the same in every single book. Hmm. It's it's very hard to find in English, some really distinctive voices. Um, Father John Romanides, you know, he sounds like father John Romanides and no one else. Um, There's a few like that, but there's a kind of um, diction. There's a kind of rhythm that a lot of Orthodox books in English take on that I didn't, that I, didn't help me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Like there's just you can, yeah. So I got, that was frustrating. And you know, when I'd find someone like father, John Romanides, I would, I would latch onto, you know, uh, uh, Metropolitan hierotheos. Oh, you know, great. Well, yeah. You know, like, thank, thank God for him, you know? Um, so there's a, there's a few distinctive voices out there and that, is when i encountered those guys that i you know they would what they would say would penetrate all these layers of nonsense that i was swirling around in. so um but nobody quite spoke the language of my heart so mm. i wanted something that i could hold on to when i went through these phases but it would have to be language that went directly to my heart so i so i Decided I had to write something directly from my heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you did. Yeah. It's there's almost nothing there at all, but I it's it's what I wanted to say. Um,
0: okay. I think a lot of the implications are something. This is this is what I'm really into right now. And I think people will see this in some of the events we're trying to do with first things coming up. I'm really into this idea of hospitality as medicine and then i'm really into the idea of higher, higher uh blacos n- n- yeah. yeah yeah it's what it's his language that broke through to me as a real early convert um really all of the christian life really if you want to just say all of the truth all of reality is about healing which also implies some sort of original illness (laughs) which is really important right and that got to get things ordered right and so when I hear you speaking about your writing I'm hearing somebody talk about medicine I really like that I don't hear that as a Freudian like oh he needs his oh he's trying to heal oh that's it's not real it's just real to him I think all of us in the church is the ultimate example of a doctor. We're all looking for a doctor. And to me that your writing provides some sort of medicine. I'm really into the idea that hospitality, like you give us the words, but man, I want to give the food. And it comes out of my experience in Orthodox countries. They almost know nothing about how the Trinity operates except for here's some really hot steaming food that I'll make for you again at any time that you need it. That seems like a Trinity right there. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love the idea of being healed as per our faith. And I see it over and over again, manifest in different ways. And I think your writing is a type of healing. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, and you know, that third chapter, uh, the communion of love, try to really emphasize this aspect that you're talking about of table fellowship. Um, Literally sitting down together, Mm. breaking bread together in, in the human body, which is a way of overcoming barriers, you know, Um, get a bunch of people who shouldn't be together, put them together at a table and let them eat food that is, is, nourishing flavorful meaningful from from you know prepared from the heart those barriers are healed just by the act of eating you know we we are bodies and eating is is one of the most intimate things that we do and we we do it we do it together
0: yes and that's that's, going inside of us the food is entering us not unlike sex may it be for our Healing, man. Think about that.
1: Ah. Yeah, I mean that's, um, I mean the Eucharist is obviously the center of the Christian life. Where there's a reason why Yeshua made this the center. You know, the, this is my body. Eat this. Don't don't look at it. Don't right, think right. about it. Right. Eat it. Right. It's got to right. go in you. Um, and that's that's something we we do together. You don't do that by yourself. You don't have a a liturgy by yourself and just eat bread by yourself that's uh, that's not what it is right it's uh um and so i i tried to i tried to make a case in that third chapter like i you know different churches do different things we call it a coffee hour after the liturgy i'm like don't call it the coffee hour call it the agape meal and then make sure it is the agape meal you know <laughs> this is this is not something extra that we do after the liturgy, like, okay, well, let's hang out now. This is the culmination of what we're doing. We we go through the liturgy together. It harmonizes us with each other, with God. And then we go eat together.
0: Mm -hmm. This is, gosh, man. And so I've been Orthodox how many years? And do you know, even last Sunday, I left right after. I didn't even go to the meal. And shame on me. Isn't it interesting? Even even when you know all the lessons, you still sort of want to default to something like an inherent desire. In, innate there, think not good. Just because it's innate, it might be a bad thing that's innate. Yeah, you, you're you helping me. I, you made me think of the importance of that, that agape meal. Yeah. Wow, and yeah, that's I mean, a little thing, right, that goes a long way in terms of um becoming whole.
1: Oh yeah. And I really I don't know how to communicate this. Yeah, this this is what I'm working on on my Substack now. I got this crazy four-part series called The Gods of the F- The Future Will Be Machines, but but it's really like partly or largely me railing against um digital screens. Their infiltration into the orthodox life uh i I talked about live streaming the liturgy as kind of an anti-communion you know um but one thing i haven't talked about yet is uh part of what makes the agape meal or what should be the agape meal difficult is I, at least I don't know what your church is like. I imagine many churches are like this, you know, it's like we get the, get the liturgy over with and then rush downstairs and it's like, okay, it can be on the, my phone again. Mm. And, I, <laughs> and you know, that disrupts communion. We've kind of lost. I mean, I think if we're breaking bread together and being intentional about making eye contact and sharing our lives with each other, I mean, you remember that when people used to <laughs> sit down <laughs> for sure, How's your day? you know like just basic stuff which uh, generations of people are growing up like they just they don't even know what that is like uh make eye contact and really listen i mean i think that's a continuation of of the liturgy or it could be or should be I, i okay here's a
0: if guys have been listening to the podcast lately i don't know i can't get away from this idea I think what you just described, the inability to do that, which I participate in, so this is not judgment. Well, it's judgment, but of all of us. I think that's actually the outcome. It's the result of a type of anthropology being taught and imbibed by us Westerners for 300 years. And it's the anthropology that what I sit in front of at Trapeza, is a slab of meat sort of that came up out of the, the goop and is destined for, for the ground. What I mean by that is, is there's nothing unique about you that makes me or that, that moves me toward you in a unique way. As if I was communing with, with eternity, I'm actually taught. It's not that. And I, I mean me. Like I am, I took that in for 20 years, studying what a human being is. And so I think it's really important that we, we, every one of us listening should go right now to the school district or to whoever district that, that, and ask what is a human being and how do you teach it in your school? <laughs> Good luck, by the way. <laughs> That's all, they'll think you're crazy. But think of the question though, Graham, what's a human being? Because- Everything, every implication about life is going to come out of that, that answer. And shame on me for not even recognizing within the corridors of my own temple. What a disaster. And I left in order to, I don't, I forget what I was running in errands or some garbage. I left in order to do my thing and I left people with their heads on fire. <laughs> I left the vision that you had of people with their heads on fire. In other words, people. Communion with god think about that and i think that's a the outcome of a type of cultural i don't know education we got to stop we got to stop telling little people that that's what we are that's why i'm so on this evolution train evolution as an anthropology is disastrous disastrous, like atomic bomb disastrous what do you think about that
1: (laughs) disaster yeah i mean yeah the ideology of evolution, I'm I'm with you there. The the we are nothing but kind of train of thought. Um, I I think I I think there is something redeemable about that line of discovery, which is there's a way in which our bodies are connected with the bodies of everything else in the world. Um, that's the little thing that I want to keep from evolution, not though we're pond scum and we're, you know, we're just random accidental complex and kind of nice assemblies of atoms, but it could have gone a completely different way. Like that, that's nonsense. Um, but the idea that our bodies are all connected to each other. Um, I love that, that, that seems to be in line with this idea of communion. I, you know, I went on this long tirade on my, on my last essay about, Um, when Yeshua said, this is my body, when he said that about the bread, bread had a pretty different meaning than it has today. Mm. Then people knew directly from direct experience that bread is a kind of grass, you know, it's coming out of the ground, um, that the seeds of that grass are knocked off the grass and then ground up by hand. And, um, you you bake it by hand in, in clay ovens that you form by hand. Um, and we're, our, our bodies are from the ground that Genesis says. So we're, we're like these mud people touching the mud, touching the grass, eating, uh, eating it, becoming it. And, and Yeshua saying like, this is my body, you know, he's, he's uniting himself to this, this whole, like, uh, this web of all these, uh, this web of relationships. So I, I want to keep that part of evolution, um, but certainly, like the we're nothing, but and I you know, I've been talking about transhumanism. I would say that anthropology has morphed into not only are we pond scum, just like anything else, but it's it's more that every everything is computation, yeah, everything's just bits moving around, sometimes those bits look like trees, sometimes they look like. John, sometimes they look like Graham, but they're you know, it's just bits moving around. And uh I think that plays into this this screen consciousness that kind of infiltrates itself, you know, like hey, these bits can be represented here on the screen or or whatever. It's it's all um different layers of the same kind of reality. Um so
0: that's the floating you said something really interesting when we were talking before the, the recording it's like we're floating away from ourselves. It's, it's like there's something about the, our pixelation that separates us from, obviously, an incarnate existence. And so your writing takes that on. I know you've been, and that's why we get to the idea that maybe we shouldn't pixelate or whatever the word is in the data world, in the tech world. We shouldn't do that to liturgy, right? We, we should not do that.
1: But we're doing yeah, it. Literally- yeah i I said it um it makes no sense to celebrate the incarnation of god while collaborating with the disincarnation of ourselves um yeah the the liturgy is something you do in the body you don't have access to the liturgy through through the internet you have access through your human body which which is an image of god Mm. um it's a the, the body is a a manifestation, a revelation of God. You know, we we all have our heads on fire. We just we're just blind to it. And we, yeah, I think we should take that very seriously. Let's come in our bodies and gather in our bodies to do the liturgy. And then let's let's take the meal seriously too. This this is divine human, like divine human communion in the body. Uh, we're gathered together. We're the images of God uh, to one another and for one another. And we we consume the world as we eat. We're eating the world that God made, yeah, for us, and we shape that world for each other, and we and we we do that. It is intimate.
0: Okay, but I'll push back.
1: I'll great. I'll, I'll drink more coffee.
0: All right, good. You drink your coffee. I finished mine.
1: I'm hyped. <laughs>
0: I'm hyped. <laughs> um, you're a luddite. What a <laughs> awesome. luddite, dude. You're such a luddite. Like catch up, man. Let's go. What do you say to that? Come on, man.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. Luddites um, put monkey wrenches in um, factory machinery. I'm I'm not doing that yet. You're on the Uh, internet. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God for the internet, man. I love the internet.
0: Uh, Is it something about the hierarchy? There's something of liturgy is different than what we're doing. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm all for, um, representation of reality and asynchronous communication. I mean, you know, I write, so I, I represent my, my state of mind. I represent the world. I represent the state of my heart in black symbols on a white page. And I, I, I I try, you know, I try to transmit that to other minds um, I think there's a place for that. I don't think there's an ultimate place for that necessarily. I, I don't think I'll be, you know, in, in, the, in the kingdom of God in its fullness. I don't, if I'm still writing books, that's a <laughs> problem. That'd I mean, I'd be interested. You know, <laughs> I hope not. You know, uh, it's, it's a means to an end, it's, it's medicine. Um, actually, Plato literally called it uh, the, the technology of writing, he called it a, a pharmacon um which we get the word pharmacy you know yeah it's a it's a it's a poison that is medicine if used in the right amount at the right time um and yeah i'm delighted to have this conversation with you i'm glad we can do it even though we're not bodily present um this is a conversation though and it's it's not perfect um there's some body language stuff that we're that doesn't come through there's uh you know
0: this would be better like over a Cigar or whatever, like sitting next to each other, it would be better, we can yeah. say that
1: right, yeah, yeah, but it's but it's pretty good, you know, um the liturgy is something entirely other, you know the, the union of God and man in this in this dance that connects with the way the whole universe is moving it's it's something totally transcendent and earthy and bodily at the at the same time, so. I think we want to say the liturgy is a, a sacred space that we don't violate with our simulation technologies. We can, well, let's have conversations with each other, let's, let's let's go on podcasts, let's do that. That's great. Thank God. You know, let's, let's use that technology while we have it, but but the liturgy, let's let's keep it sacred. Yeah. It used to be, uh,
0: and I had this conversation and it was really a running debate with my brother. Um, for a number a number a number of years which is when you hear what I the debate was it, you'll find it ironic I promise is um there was an argument in our household with my mother and father and us that something like television as a techne as a medium itself is irredeemable um, because uh, the pixelation the distance between the reality of what's being created and my own imbibing of it and all that right it never sat well with me it sat okay with my brother and that was the debate and i think what i love about orthodoxy that was pre-orthodox is that you know there's layers on a continuum of reality is you can be right and be really far from the center of goodness and still be right on a on one layer, right? You can say that the internet's not really good and participate in it at the same time. As long as the awareness is there, that you know that you're at this point in the on the continuum. You don't want to confuse the point, right? If you're trying to go, you know, 50 miles an hour and you keep calling 20 miles an hour, proper that's the problem but if you know you're going 20 you can get to where you got to go and what i like in orthodoxy is it doesn't have that puritan this not that at the same time it's a danger right because you can get lost you can get lost and i think my brother is the guy who's trying to really he's really trying to put up the fences all the time don't go over there it's not proper to me. I don't, I I don't like fences. You know what I mean? Like I'll go over there and then get hit in the head and come back and then I'll tell you, yeah, maybe. And I find your writing is, it's an invitation to all the beauty with, but no, it's cool. It's not a lot of fences. I don't know. It's very inviting writing. And, and I get why you wouldn't want to encourage liturgy online and still be able to do this. I really understand that makes sense to me
1: yeah well there's when I mean, we have this neoplatonic framework that helps out a lot, it took me a long time to realize, but now I realize and accept it that you know there's the, the archetypes embody themselves uh, themselves at lower levels as as images which are then archetypes for other images, and you know you've got this this scale or this gradient and yeah there's there's different levels of reality and yeah um what we're doing right now is pretty far down on that scale as far as like um, communion with another human being, but it's, it's on the scale.
0: Yeah.
1: It's yeah. not off the scale. It's not all or nothing. Um, but yeah, you have to be aware of where you are. Um, yeah. I, um, I appreciate what your brother said about you got to put up fences, but the, the point of the fence is the life inside the house that you're protecting with the fence. That's like, right. right. He is- said that right. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, like, you gotta live inside the house so i yeah i um i think sun lilies is, is pretty groovy it's pretty relaxed i i'm glad to hear you say is welcoming i thought maybe some some non-orthodox people would get something out of it too even non-religious people um it offers a way to engage a little bit without getting caught up in maybe all of the political stuff and i it sounds like that's that's been true that um, non-Orthodox people, even non-religious people have gotten something it's, out of it. So i it, about that.
0: It's real. Yeah. The book is the book's a real beautiful offering. Let's let's end with this question. You got kids. Um, you got a beautiful family. Uh what do you hope for in the next let's just say you live sort of like what a human life looks like. I don't know. You die when you get old. What do you what do you hope to see? writers writers help us to see things what do you hope to see for this country we live in or this world we live in by the time that you're
1: ready to go what yeah what i would really love is for gardening to be as part of orthodoxy as prayer is for orthodoxy to be as unthinkable uh, for for gardening to be as unthinkable in orthodoxy as, um, like, sorry, orthodoxy without gardening would be as unthinkable as orthodoxy without prayer. Wow. Um, I, you know, I would love for us to get really serious about the Eucharistic life, um, our, celebrating the liturgy together in the body, and our agape meals, uh, providing food for each other out of our own gardens. And surrounding our churches with gardens and surrounding our homes with gardens and making our homes temples in which we can pray and also garden. That's kind of my uh, big dream, which I, I just described in my, my crazy essay, The, the Lily Archipelago. Um, that's what I would love. We're, we're building a house in the woods. we got 40 acres of land up, up north building a tiny little timber frame house. Uh, got a chapel out there in the forest. Our priest friend of ours from up north comes and celebrates the liturgies. I'm hoping to embody this vision I have there in a place where I, you know, God willing, I'll have freedom to do whatever the heck I want to like implement that kind of reality. And I hope my children will be able to keep that going.
0: That Graham, that's great. That is a great, I wouldn't even call it a curveball, but it's beautiful. Unfortunately, the last time I was in a garden was when I was doing this work in Africa, because those cats all have gardens and um, it was beautiful. And also, it was the coolest place. By that, I mean it was cool, it was, it was, the temperature was lower. And in the Sahel in West Africa, that was a really nice place to be. And it did have,
1: it did help me remember beauty. Yeah. When you said garden, I was reminded of those days. Yeah. The nice. temple dropped 10 or 20 degrees in, in a garden like that. You know about the, the church forests in Ethiopia? Yeah, I do. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that's the future. Wow. Churches that surrounded is- by forests, you know, that's it. That's Eden.
0: You may literally have literally in a sentence explained where we should go. Yeah, because you don't have to know the rest. I don't know how that happens, but that if that happens, why not? Yeah, that's beautiful. By the way, it's also possible. I like the I like possible and beautiful. <laughs> some of these cats, they talk about the future. You're like, what? <laughs> Are we sure that you're you could even what? Yeah, like, if I see one more person go to space, oh, my God. (laughs) Don't you think it's just some new billionaire is going to space? It's insane. Let them go, man. Just don't come back. Just let them go. Let them go. Space is the most incomprehensible, devilish of all of our desires. (laughs) I, I... Let's go where you can't breathe. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> it just blows me away.
1: I, I used to teach at a residential treatment center. It's like a, these uh, drug-addicted you know, gang guys uh, with uh, mental health issues and stuff. And it was out on a, on a lake in Wisconsin. It's like kind of a wilderness therapy thing. But this one guy, man, I, I loved him. He loved to eat. He was cool, a real simple guy. I was uh I was supposed to be their teacher or something. I was I was doing some. I played a video on. It. I, I played, well, it got kind of crazy, but uh, I I think I played like some astronomy documentary or something really boring, and this guy was like, space sucks. Did say that? <laughs> I was like, what? But now I get it, man. Yeah, space sucks. I don't, you know, I don't want to go there. Earth, grow a garden, man. That's not asking too much.
0: That's your garden conversation made me think of the, it's literally the opposite idea. <laughs> and yet we keep wanting to go. It's such a demonic image. It's just odd. but that's not our next podcast. How about that? Okay, here's some of the li- lilies guys. But Andrew will put a link to it um, And um, Graham. We have a new rule on our dumb podcast. It's really, a, it's really a foil, you know, for trying to get people to love our work overseas and here at home um, at first things. But uh, we have a new rule. It was given to me by Andrew, our editor. And the new rule is we can only bring people on that are like, like super cool and connected and did something that will go across the interwebs. So you're our first test of the new rule. That's how cool you are.
1: Right on. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> I say that with tongue in cheek, but not really, because it's really beautiful stuff you're working on. Keep writing guys. Check out his sub stack. Is there something you want to, what's it? What are you working on right now? You said it, but say it again.
1: Yeah. The, the sub stack is Sabbath empire. I'm um, I just dropped the third part of a, 4 part series called the gods of the future will be machines which and this third part is called called the lily archipelago that kind of presents that garden vision uh within the context of fighting against transhumanism
0: yeah let's come back and let's talk about that in a couple months want to
1: i would god willing yeah sounds good
0: i would i think it's relevant and i also i don't think it's one of those internet cries for attention i actually think it's it's relevant we we should discuss stuff like that so okay we will catch up again and i hope to see you. i'm i got invited back by saint thomas catholic cats out there to come back and talk so i'll try to bump into you guys again
1: your pair sounds good yeah. hey, and i just want to tell seth you know, we were having major connection issues before we started this podcast, and we just said, "You know, oh Lord, blessed," and it was fine. <laughs> we actually did do that. Yeah, that's no, true story. And I, I, actually
0: was ready to not even do the, the the recording. That's how bad it was. We couldn't get any yeah. leverage. Seth, get ready, buddy. matter. <laughs> that dude, I love that dude. He's coming on this week, so I'll I'll, I'll tell him that Graham and I had a moment. <laughs>
1: Okay. sounds good. All right. Peace to you, brother. Thank all you. right. Thank you. See you, man.
0: Guys, check out Graham. Check out Sun Lilies. Check out his Substack. Andrew's got it all in the links www.first-things.org. That's why this podcast exists. Support our guys in the field. Support our podcast by tuning back in, hitting like and love. Please. And also travel with us. Lots going on. Check it out online, and look for a new invitation coming out the first week in June to join us in the Florida Keys for the art of the tamada. This is Watar. You've been listening to our podcast from First Things Foundation. You so.